0: Well, good morning. Welcome to our service today. Thank you so much for being here at River Oaks. Thank you to those of you who are watching from home, joining us online. And I um, wanna mention that we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper today, communion. And for those of you here in our sanctuary, if you didn't get one of these little pre-packaged uh, communion uh, wafer and juice uh, cups, you can get one uh, just outside the doors uh, or the tables on either exit. By the way, this is a bit of an upgrade in our communion cups. If you haven't noticed a little chalice, some of you will know these don't spill quite so easily. If you're joining us from home, you might want to have handy a piece of bread or juice, or perhaps you've got one of our cups that you picked up in the church. So we'll celebrate communion in about 25 minutes at the end of the message. I want to mention just a few upcoming things at our church. First of all, this coming Thursday is the National Day of Prayer, and so we're going to have a prayer time here in our sanctuary at noon from 12 to 1. If you're able to join us for all or part of that, this will be a, a, a time of uh, corporate and individual prayer, uh, prayers interspersed with worship, music, so I invite you to come to that next weekend is a big weekend for us with the rock 5k on saturday and then we will have a discover rock class next sunday morning during our 11 a.m service so if you're if you've been coming for a while and want to know more about membership in our church um, that would be great for you Uh, we'd appreciate it if you'd sign up online and then finally on saturday may the 15th from 11 to 2 we're going to have an event outdoors Uh, hot dogs, hamburgers, cookout, everything's provided there. Uh, We would appreciate it if you sign up, so we know you're coming and be better prepared. And that day, we're gonna have representatives from our local missions ministries uh, outdoors for you to connect with, if you're looking for a way to uh, serve locally. So um, look forward to that on the 15th. Now, before we get into Romans chapter 8 this morning, I want to share uh, briefly a passage from Philippians, and here's the reason why. Um, We all know this has been a challenging year this past year for many of us. I heard a friend who is a counselor say this past week that his schedule has been absolutely filled, and the same is true for every other counselor he knows because so many people are struggling with anxiety and anger, and frustration, despair, and hopelessness. And so before we get into Romans, I want to just raise the question, what does God have for His people in the midst of this environment? What does God have for us? I think Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, is a good place to look for the answer to that question. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians. Here's what God is saying to us. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is. Any comfort from love, and there is. Any participation in the Spirit, that is fellowship in and with the Holy Spirit, and there is. Any affection and sympathy, there is complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now that's an unusual way to phrase a sentence, but the apostle Paul is saying, because it is so certain for those who are followers of Jesus, those who are in Christ, that there is encouragement available to you, that there is comfort available to you, that there is fellowship, communion, participation in the Holy Spirit for you. If there is God's affection, the sympathy of Christ, if if these things are realities, and they certainly are, then treat one another in a certain way. And here's how he tells us to treat one another. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, that sounds nice. That's hard to do. (laughs) Those of you who are married, Putting that into practice all the time is simply not easy. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, this mindset, this attitude is the attitude of Christ. So two things emphasize here. Number one, Paul's saying, I'm urging you, I'm calling you to treat one another this way, to put the interest of others before yourselves, to do nothing out of selfish ambition, rivalry, or conceit. Others first, just like Jesus. That's the Christian way. And remember what God has provided you the wealth of encouragement, comfort, love that come from participation in Christ in the Holy Spirit, these are yours. And I want to ask you to join me in prayer right now that we be a Philippians 2, 1 through 5 church, that we be Philippians 2 people as individuals and corporately as a church, that we experience a greater work in the Holy Spirit to bring this about. So would you join me as we pray for that today? Father, we come in the name of Jesus. We ask you for a greater work of your Holy Spirit among us. And I pray for this work of encouragement for every person here and everyone watching online. We pray for the encouragement that is ours in Christ to increasingly be a reality, that we'd find encouragement in your presence, comfort from your love, participation in a growing walk of close communion with the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, that would result in shaping the way we treat one another, putting the interest of others before our own. Would you do this in us, Lord, we pray, in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Now. Now. the book of Romans. If you joined us last week, you know we talked about life in the Spirit. That is life in the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is front and center. The word Spirit with a capital S is used 11 times in verses 1 through 11 of Romans 8. There's continued emphasis on the role of the Holy Spirit in the verses that we will see today Uh, the passage Tori read a moment ago, verses 18 through uh, 30. But first, any time we talk about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in God's people, I think it's important to remember who He is. The Holy Spirit is a who, not an it. He is a person, the third person of the Trinity. Now last week we defined the Trinity this way. The the doctrine or the belief of the Trinity that you'll see on the screen before you is this. There is one true God, and He exists eternally as three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each of whom is fully God. I've found over the years that even folks who've been Christians a long time Um, struggle to understand this, and and it's understandable why that is. It's not a concept that fits our finite human mental framework. God is beyond us. There is one true God. Christians don't worship three different gods, but the one true God exists eternally as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each of whom is fully God, or as theologian J.I. Packer described God, the divine team the image you'll see next on the screen has been around for a long time i don't know its origin but it's a way of de- depicting the trinity if you look at this shield image it shows us god the being of god the triune god the trinity and you notice on the outward edge there's father son and holy spirit The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. There is a distinction in roles. That's why when Jesus is being baptized, as we read in the Gospels, the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, Jesus, the Son is being baptized in water, and the Holy Spirit is descending like a dove upon Him, anointing Him for His ministry. It's a difficult concept to understand, but I stress it for this reason. If we want the Holy Spirit to work powerfully in our lives, we must give Him the proper reverence, respect, honor. And we can only do that if we know that He is deity. He is God. The Lord is the Spirit, as the Apostle Paul writes elsewhere. My desire in in this passage today, in this message today, is that God would would work through our time together through this part of Scripture to give each one of us a greater vision for what God can do in us by His Holy Spirit. I think we Christians probably understand a very small fraction of what God would have us understand and experience when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is why the Apostle Paul prays for the church in Ephesians chapter one. He says, I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that you might know him better, but he goes on to pray that you may know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. Do you have a grasp on the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward you as a believer in Jesus? I'd like to grow in that, and I hope we all will. Well, the block of teaching uh, we're looking at today in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30, culminates in the two verses you see on the screen before you, verses 29 and 30. And so I want to start with this climax of this block of teaching, this culmination of the teaching where Apostle Paul says in, in uh, two verses some of the most important things in the Bible about God's work and will in His people. People often ask, how can I know God's will for my life? Well, these verses won't tell you You know, where he wants you to live or what house he wants you to buy or where he wants you to go to school or who he wants you to marry or whether he wants you to marry. But here's what they'll tell you. What his great desire is in your life, his great plan, and it's this. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is to be shaped to the image of Jesus. Not talking about our outward bodies, our physical shape, but our spirit, our soul, our inward likeness, our minds, that we be increasingly shaped to the likeness of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. that, That is that we might become increasingly like the firstborn, Jesus. That's God's plan. That's God's vision for each of His people. And then Paul writes these important words, for those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. Now, to predestine means God God planned ahead. He looked ahead. He saw. He planned. He purposed for you. If you've embraced the salvation provided by Jesus, you can know this applies to you. Those whom He predestined, He called. Those of you who are Christians, you remember the time when you you became aware of your sin and your need for God's forgiveness and you, you, you believed that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin. and was raised from the dead and you embraced his salvation. The Holy Spirit was drawing. He was calling. And when you put faith in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross, at that moment you were justified. That is, God looking at you and declaring your sins forgiven and you made just, declared righteous by God. Those whom He called, He justified. And then He says, those whom He justified, He also glorified. Our glorification hasn't happened yet. Paul has already said earlier in this chapter that we're awaiting something. That's the the glorification that comes when Jesus returns and we get glorified bodies like His body that are not subject to decay and pain and sickness and aging. The Bible talks quite extensively about this, but that hasn't happened yet. So why does Paul say it in past tense? Those whom he called, he justified; those whom he justified, he glorified. I think he says it in past tense because it is so absolutely certain for you, if you were a believer in Jesus, if you're his follower, the devil himself cannot keep it from coming to pass that those who've been justified shall also be glorified. Now, those who are believers in Jesus, as we await the return of Christ, we live between having been justified and being glorified. And a great deal of what Paul said in verses 18 to 28 have to do with that, that waiting, that anticipating, the glorification that is coming for believers. And in that time, God's doing something in His people. He's shaping. He's shaping our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, making us more like Jesus. Now, let's look at that this morning. God's great plan for those who know Him. How is He shaping us? How is He preparing us? First of all, Paul's teaching us the Holy Spirit is shaping us through our present sufferings. Paul writes, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that is our human spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So I thought about this passage this week, I thought, wow, it seems like as we've studied Romans and going back to Easter Sunday and other passages we've looked at, we've talked about suffering a lot. And I thought, well, that's really because Paul talks about it quite a lot. And then I thought, well, so does the Apostle Peter in the books of 1 and 2 Peter. So does James in the book of James. So does the author of the book of Hebrews. Come to think of it, the whole Bible is filled with teaching about walking closely with God through suffering, particularly the book of Psalms. Why is that? Part of the reason is that spiritual growth often occurs through seasons of trial. That's why the Apostle James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, if you're going to be spiritually mature and complete, your faith will have been developed through trials, through testing. God is shaping, God is working in these times of of difficulty. It's kind of like the development of muscle tissue. It requires resistance for growth. And Paul is saying this suffering can be a, a shaping time. Only though, if the Holy Spirit is working in us to turn our hearts and lives increasingly toward Him. Secondly, God's plan for those who know Him is this. This shaping occurs as we await our full adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And this is where Paul begins to talk about this future glorification. And he writes some of the more challenging words in this chapter. We read in verses 22 to 25, he says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the uh, pains of childbirth until now. What in the world is that about? In verse 20... Paul said something unusual in this chapter. He said that creation, created world, was subjected to futility. I think what he means is that the created world in which we live, nature, was affected by the sin of humanity ever since the very beginning. It is not as it was in the Garden of Eden. It is not as it will be in the new heavens and the new earth about which the Bible speaks. This created world has been affected by the sin of humanity. And Paul says it's as if the creation itself is groaning in the pains of childbirth. Why in the world would he use that image about the created world? He's talking about anticipation. Though there is intense Pain in childbirth. There is anticipation of joy at the delivery of the child. There's a looking ahead to something else, and so Paul uses this analogy, and he says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit—that is, we—we've got the Holy Spirit living within us. We groan inwardly as we wait, inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, redemption of our bodies this is glorification. This is being glorified. This is when Jesus returns and believers get a glorified resurrection body. That's what I think Paul means by the redemption of our bodies. Now, it may may seem a little confusing because Paul says, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, and someone may be thinking, wait a minute, last week, we talked about what the Holy Spirit does in us, and He was called the Spirit of Adoption. And you said something like, when we come to faith in Jesus, God has adopted us, so aren't we Christians already adopted into God's family? And the answer is definitely yes, we are. What Paul is talking about here is the fullness of our adoption. The fullness, the, the glorification, the redeemed body. Uh, He says it also in Philippians chapter 3. Perhaps it's a little more clear here in Philippians 3 verses 20 and 21 that you'll see on the screen. Paul writes, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await. We await a Savior. That is, we're waiting on Jesus to return. What will He do when He returns? The Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our lowly body, to be like His glorious body. This will be the redemption of our bodies. Your spirit, your soul, you're redeemed now if you're a believer. You're adopted by God. But the fullness of your adoption, the redemption of your body comes when Jesus returns. And He transformed, transforms these bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So Paul sets all this up to say, we live with an anticipation of something greater. And in this time, the Holy Spirit is working. Between the being justified and the being glorified, the Holy Spirit is shaping. He's conforming us. The Bible tells us elsewhere in Romans, we're not to be conformed to the world around us. And Paul says here, God conforms us, rather, to the likeness and image of Jesus. And that's what's happening in the waiting, through sufferings, through anticipation of the future. And then thirdly, Paul explains as he goes on through this most interesting part of the Bible, that God shapes us by helping us in our weakness. Helping us to do what? Number one, helping us to pray. Paul writes here, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. These are two really challenging verses, but let's, let's look at them for, for a couple minutes. Two things are clear. There's a lot I don't understand about these two verses, but two things are pretty clear. Number one, it's assumed we will pray. If you're a Christian, it's assumed that you pray. But number two, it's assumed we need help when it comes to prayer. Does it strike any of you as it does me that the Apostle Paul, of all people, would say, we don't know what to pray for? We don't know how to pray as we ought. I find that pretty remarkable. The Apostle Paul, after Jesus, outside of Jesus, the Apostle Paul was almost certainly the the greatest person of prayer listed in the New Testament. All of his letters he writes to the churches, he starts off talking about how much he's praying for them. And I read about Paul and I go, my goodness, he must have just prayed all the time. And yet he says, we don't know what to pray for, as we ought. The man who teaches us so much about prayer in the New Testament. What's the solution for Paul? He says, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Two times he he speaks of the Holy Spirit interceding for the believers. Now, the word intercede means to, to plead, to appeal, to approach, to stand before God on behalf of another. We're told in the book of Hebrews that Jesus always lives to make intercession for those who draw near to God through him. And now we're told the Holy Spirit is ever at work inside the believer, interceding for them. Jesus, the Son of God, interceding before the Father of God on our behalf. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, living within a believer, interceding for us as well. Interceding for what? He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He's working within you, joining his intercessory work with your prayers for the will of God to be done in your life. Someone may wonder, why don't we see more results from that? It's a remarkable thing about the Holy Spirit. Though he is the third person of the Trinity, though he is deity, though he is God, The gentle way he works in believers is is just remarkable to me. It's remarkable because the Apostle Paul says things like this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. And he goes on to say, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You as a Christian, I as a Christian, by our actions, can actually grieve the Holy Spirit of God? It's a remarkable thing. Paul says "Therefore, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And I think, how, how how could we mere human beings quench the Holy Spirit? I don't fully understand that, but I know the Holy Spirit works in us in such a beautiful, gentle way and yet powerful way that we must be willing to seek the fullness of His presence and His power and increasingly grow in our sensitivity to His work within us. God the Son and God the Spirit are interceding before God the Father for the will of God to be done in the saints. There's a further thing the Holy Spirit does within us, and it is necessary and essential for the unfolding of God's plan in your life and mine, and it is this. He helps us to know God's love. Paul writes a little bit earlier in this same letter to the Romans, God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The Holy Spirit draws us to faith in Jesus. He regenerates us. And then He dwells within the true believer. Your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. And He is the Spirit of the love of God. He pours the love of God into our hearts and souls. Don't believe a person who ever tells you they're spirit-filled if they're not filled with love. Because a truly spirit-filled person will be filled with the love of God. And as He does that, the Holy Spirit is shaping us into the likeness of Christ. He's enabling us to know God loves us and to love Him in return. He's shaping us through present trials, sufferings, difficulties, He's shaping us through anticipation, looking forward to the return of Jesus, glorification. He's also shaping us now by helping us to pray, filling us with the awareness that God really loves us, enabling us to grow in our love for Him in return. So what's the outcome of this? What's the outcome of a spirit-shaped life? Well, very briefly, just three things before we take communion. Number one, we can know, Paul says, that all things will work together for our good. He's not saying that all things are good. There's much evil in the world. But he's saying for those who know who who those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God somehow, in His great wisdom, is able to ultimately cause all things to work together for those for good to those who love Him. And number two, in this process of things working together for our good, the very next verse tells us we're being conformed in the likeness of Jesus. For those whom before knew, He also predestined to be shaped, to be molded, to be conformed into the image of His Son. This means increasingly we have the attitude of Christ, the mind of Christ, like the verse we read in Philippians. It's an other's first mindset. We don't do things out of rivalry or conceit, but we put others before ourselves. We put the interests of others ahead of ourselves. We have the mind of Christ. We're being shaped in the image of His Son. And then thirdly, the outcome of a spirit-shaped life is that we can be secure in God's love. I stress this because of the verses that immediately follow. the Apostle Paul is he's reflecting back on everything he wrote in verses 18 to 30, uh, and, and previous to that, he says, "What do we say to these things? What do we make of all this I've just written? God is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And what he does in the remainder of this beautiful chapter. Some call it the greatest chapter in the whole Bible. Is the stress that nobody can separate you as a believer from the love of God. In fact, he'll end the chapter with these words Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All of this is possible having the Holy Spirit live within us, do this work within us, it's all possible for one reason only. And that is that God the Son, Jesus, left the glory and perfection of heaven and came to this earth in human form, real human flesh and blood, born as a baby, lived among us, at the age of 33, allowed himself to be taken and brutally mocked and spit upon and flogged and beaten and scourged and nailed to a cross. And on that cross, our sin would be laid upon Him as if He were guilty of all. He would bear the judgment. He would take our place. He would be raised from the dead. And through our faith in Him, God will look at us and say, "Justified." justified, declared righteous to such an extent that the Holy Spirit could come and live within us and shape us increasingly through life so that we're progressively conformed to the image and likeness of His Son as we await that day when He will return, and it will happen, and those who are in Christ will be glorified the redemption of our bodies and live with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth we celebrate that which Jesus did in what we call communion the Lord's Supper Paul writes about that elsewhere in 1st Corinthians chapter 11 when he writes for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks He broke and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new testament in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Remarkable thing. You proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim that you've received the benefits of what Jesus did in his dying. Then he gives a warning and says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I'd like to take a moment now to do that very thing, to allow us to examine ourselves, first to be certain that we have embraced the salvation. God provided for us through Jesus, and then to simply search our hearts if there's something we need to acknowledge before God in the way of our fellowship with him. So would you join me as we pray now? Father, how we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. And I pray now, Father, that we would take communion rightly in your eyes, and I pray for anyone Watching our service, anyone here in our sanctuary who has not yet embraced the salvation provided by Jesus, that you would draw that person to yourself today to say, God, I know I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. And I believe Jesus provided for that in his death and resurrection. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Like to take a moment of silence now for us just to wait in God's presence as we prepare our hearts to take communion. Amen. I'll give you a moment to, um, to get the little wafer that's in the bottom part of the packaged cup. And those of you watching online, if you'd like to get a piece of bread or uh, whatever you have handy, and we'll take together in just a moment. All right, the body of Christ given for you. give you a moment to get the lid off of the cup. The blood of Jesus shed for you. We're going to worship the Lord together now. And as we do, as we are, I wanna just give an invitation for any of you that feel like you'd like to have someone pray with you, for you, for God's work in your life, greater work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And um, if that's you, if that pertains to you, I'm gonna ask you to make your way to uh, this empty row of seats that's off to my right or one off to my left here, or to one of the back tables. And I'm going to ask to come forward any of our uh, elders present at the service, and um, we'll look for you if you're seated on one of these rows or standing at a table. And while we're worshiping the Lord, we'd like to take just a moment and pray for that greater work of the Holy Spirit in your life.